Hi, it's Mark Wormel here. I'm sorry I can't be with you in person. I tested positive uh, for COVID on Saturday afternoon, so I'll be out of action for the next week or so. Uh, I was really looking forward to delivering this sermon in person uh, because it's one that really means a lot to me. Um, it would have also been lovely if Ray and Sharon had been there uh, because uh, I'll be mentioning them. But of course, they're being honoured in Canada, and I'm absolutely delighted with that. Over the last few years, I've used this opportunity of Reconciliation Week to talk about the Mabo Judgment, Love's case that confirmed the inalienable right of Indigenous people to Australian citizenship, and Aboriginal deaths in custody. Today, I want to talk about reconciliation. But the thing I want to say about reconciliation is that I do not want to talk about reconciliation. Uh, there cannot be reconciliation without talking, but the first thing I want to do is listen. And it is hard for me to listen if I'm talking. I've heard Uncle Ray speak on a number of passages in the Bible. The one that sticks in my mind most is when he spoke on the opening of the Old Testament book of Job. Uncle Ray outlined the story of Job. Job was described as a man who was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East, we are told. All of this was taken away from him through no fault of his own. Then three so-called friends spend many chapters telling Job that this must have happened because it was Job's fault. He must have sinned against God. But Job hadn't. Uncle Ray then said, they're telling my story. The story of the indigenous people of Australia. Uncle Ray said, before the white man came, we had peace and abundance. We knew there was a creator and it was our responsibility to care for his creation. The people God first gave this land to had peace, plenty, and lived wisely in harmony with this beautiful land. Uncle Ray said, but then the whitefellas came. They took all our land. They killed us with guns and diseases. They took away our children. They stole or destroyed so much of what we had. And then they told us it was our fault. They called us savages. They called the land terra nullius, nothing here. They attacked our culture, banned our languages, and imposed a justice system that gave us no justice. Uncle Ray said, we know how Job felt, and we know that God knows how we feel. As I sat there across the road in the old hall, I thought, this man knows God. I thought Uncle Ray's words were so true and so sad. Each time I think about re reconciliation, I come back to the book of Job and think about what Uncle Ray said. There's so much to learn from this book. At the end, Job gets all his wealth back and more and he had a new family, and he was reconciled with God. It would be great 
if we were all reconciled with God. For, as Uncle Ray has said, we wouldn't need reconciliation plans if we allowed the gospel to work. You can hear that in a podcast we sent out in the, in last, in the last weekly email. The native title legislation that followed the Nam- Mabo judgment is better than what was there before, but it is nowhere like getting back all your land and wealth and then some. It is slow, cumbersome, white-controlled and affects only a small part of this huge land. There is no compensation for the land where native title is not recognised. Even with all God's blessing, while Job got back what he had lost, he did not get back his children who had died or his years of suffering. The past is the past. We need to understand it to make a better future. If we think about the government plan to close the gap on health, suicide rates, education, employment, treatment by the police, incarceration rates, children in care and the other areas of life that have huge gaps between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, we realise that no gap has been closed fully in the 14 years since the program began, and some have got worse. Obesity is higher, incarceration rates have got worse, the Indigenous youth suicide rate is four times worse, the Indigenous suicide rate is twice as high as the rest of the community. Mental health problems have got worse. We may ask, how many generations will it be after the gaps are closed that the grief and trauma will be behind us? The Americans were still fighting their civil war, uh, sorry, they're still fighting their civil war that ended in 1866. Conflicts in the Balkans go back over 700 years and conflict in the Middle East goes back further. But the beginning of the book of Job is a good place to start. It shows us something about why, in speaking about reconciliation, I don't want to speak. Because the best thing Job's friends did was to shut up and listen. My text for today is really only verse 13. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. In the next chapter, Job speaks. He speaks 26 verses of anguish. Why did this happen, he says. It would have been better if I'd never been born. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food, my groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me, what I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. Job's three friends should have gone on listening in quietness and grieved and mourned with their friend and talked with him about how they could help him get back on his feet. Instead, they launched into long speeches that showed no compassion, no empathy, and ended up blaming Job for his suffering. It's a bit like what happened with the Uluru Statement. I don't think some politicians finished hearing it before they said, this isn't going to happen, but we'll come up with our own plan.
There was no listening, no real attempt to explore the whys and hows, just a blanket rejection. An intelligent man, Malcolm Turnbull, misrepresented the call for a voice to Parliament as a third house of Parliament, which it is not. He chose to not listen. When the Uluru Statement did not go away, the call for a voice to Parliament was shuffled off into legislation that can be amended or ignored, rather than constitutional recognition and the dignity that comes from that. So often well-meaning politicians and bureaucrats talk about consultation with Indigenous people and then come up with their own solutions to problems and impose them from Canberra or Sydney. When thinking about reconciliation, the Bible teaches us to listen, to listen to God and to listen and listen and listen to people who are suffering. I know part of that listening will involve grieving, as the Lord tells us to mourn with those who mourn and grieve with those who grieve. I'm not going to try and define what reconciliation is or what it might involve or feel like, because if I tried to define it, I would be trying to control the conversation. To define is to control, and that is the last thing that I want to do. Nor am I going to say what a reconciliation process may look like. I'd much prefer to listen to our scarred tree mob and hear what they say. I know it has a lot to do with respect and closing the many gaps, but I need to listen first. But I can do something. I can look at what reconciliation looks like in the Bible and see if there is anything there that may be able to speak into the conversations and actions we may take around reconciliation. I'm going to read you a few passages now that use the word reconcile. Romans 5.10 For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? 1 Corinthians 7.11, Paul spoke of a husband and wife being reconciled if they could. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul said, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about Jews and Gentiles being reconciled because of what Jesus had done. And in Colossians 1.20, Paul says, Through Jesus God chose to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So reconciliation involves some sense of peace. If I'm reconciled to the fact that I'm getting older and will one day die, I am at peace with these things. In the Bible, reconciliation is spoken of in two main contexts. The first is reconciliation between God and humans. There is peace between us and God. The second is reconciliation between humans. We are given two examples. Reconciliation between a husband and a wife and reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles, that's people who are not Jews. In each case, it is not that every hurt is undone or compensated, but enough is done for there to be genuine peace and contentment. No residual anger or distrust. Not necessarily friendship, 
that may be a step further and something worth working towards, but peace comes first. Looking at these passages, the first thing to say is that reconciliation does not necessarily involve bringing back together people who were once united and then separated. I may have been relatively innocent when first born, but it didn't take me long to sing, to act selfishly. When I could think of others, I preferred my needs over theirs. Reconciliation with God does not mean coming back to a peaceful, loving relationship, but being brought into a loving, peaceful relationship. And it happens by doing away with the cause of the separation, enmity or quarrel, which in this case is my sin. God bridged the gap between him and me by Jesus dying on the cross for my sins. God made the sacrifice as non-Indigenous people will have to make sacrifices to bridge the gap. Jews and Gentiles were never friends from the times of Abraham and Moses. And while reconciliation within marriage may mean rebuilding the love that once brought a couple together, often it actually means bridging gaps that have existed since before the wedding day. So in each of these three contexts in which reconciliation is used in the Bible, It involves people who were enemies being brought together with the causes of that enmity being dealt with or removed. The second thing the Bible shows us about reconciliation is that it is relational, not institutional. Humanity was not reconciled to God on the first Easter. All Jews and all Gentiles were not reconciled when Jesus died for us all. We can say an important part of the bridge was laid, but each one of us still has to walk over it. Each one of us has to appropriate the benefits that flow from Jesus' death for us by turning to him in repentance and faith. So with God, reconciliation happens when each one of us trusts God, accepts him as Lord and starts to love him. I can't be reconciled with God for you. Reconciliation in the Bible works at the level of personal relationships. I don't think it makes much sense to talk about all Indigenous people and all non-Indigenous people being reconciled with each other. It's a nice idea, but I can't see how it will happen. However, we can talk about removing the systemic barriers to reconciliation, like closing the gap and dealing with racism. It may make sense for us to look at reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people at St John's and perhaps between St John's and some of the Indigenous people of Glebe. And perhaps there may be a flow-on effect from that. If there is peace between us and peace between us and our neighbours, perhaps people who might otherwise feel unreconciled with us might trust us a bit more and start from a better place. I know some Indigenous people are reluctant to come into our church because it symbolises to them the theft of land and the imposition of one culture on another. But if they see good things happening here and feel loved, perhaps that will change. We may even be able to do a bit better than that if we look at what Jesus did so that we could be reconciled with God. 
As I said, when he died on the cross, he did not reconcile all humans to God. He enabled reconciliation to take place at a personal level between each human and God. He built the bridge. Jesus dealt with the obstacle to good and right relationships. So it makes sense to look at the causes of enmity between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. If we deal with them, if we can do all we can to remove them, then the circumstances may be better for individuals and small groups to walk towards each other. We try to do that at St John's by having Auntie Sharon and Colin on staff, Uncle Ray on parish council and as our Aboriginal elder. We're looking at ways to fund more of Ray's work in a way that works for him. T is one of the people who will choose my replacement when the time comes. Larissa is one of our two representatives on the Anglican Synod of Sydney. Uncle Ben is our Torres Strait Islander elder. We acknowledge whose land this is. We acknowledge the gifts and success of our Indigenous members. We sing songs in language and we look for ways we can do more. We must also think of the problems at a higher level. We cannot undo 250 years of war, indifference, hatred and contempt. But we can undo many of the consequences. I sometimes wonder why an Aboriginal person would want to be reconciled with me when I live on land stolen from Aboriginal people. I've been overwhelmed by the generosity of our scarred tree members. They do not want all the land back or for us all to leave. They rightly want Indigenous people to have better access to education, health, housing and all the other areas of disadvantage. I do not face discrimination in employment. I have far less chance of my child being taken into care or of being arrested or dying in custody. I can expect to live at least 10 years longer on average than an Indigenous man. So we need to close all the gaps to zero. We need an absolutely massive investment of federal funds to all those things, in all those things. Uh, I've heard it would take $4 billion to make real improvements in Aboriginal health. That should be spent. If more is needed, more should be spent. Every township with Indigenous residents must have adequate housing not 12 or more people to a house. We must raise the age of criminal responsibility to at least 14, preferably 16. No child should be in jail. We need the creation of meaningful jobs in remote areas. We need more scholarships and apprenticeships, and there should be government-funded compensation for stolen land. The Uluru Statement is a good step, Voice, treaty and justice will not achieve reconciliation, but they will help the process of removing obstacles and encouraging listening and build trust. But as those barriers are being dealt with and bridges built, what happens at a personal and very local level? What does the Bible say about that? For me to be reconciled to God, I need not only for the cause of the enmity to be removed, he needs to speak and I need to listen. 
There's no point in me telling God that the problem in our relationship is him or the way he has made his world. He has come so far towards me, I need to take a step towards him. We need to repent of the obstacles to peace. Not just say sorry, that, that's a good first step, but repentance isn't just saying sorry. It's turning around, starting again, and setting things right. Without that, for all the good God has done through the death of his son, if I don't repent and try to change and set things right, it achieves nothing. How must I repent for the advantage I have at the expense of indigenous people? What part must I play in setting things right? Again, I must listen. As I said, far too often our governments and departments and institutions have said, I know what the problem is and here is my solution. And if you don't like my solution, you are ungrateful and it's your fault. It's the story of Job again. It doesn't work with God. So why would it work with indigenous people? I can't tell God, look, I know I have some, done some things wrong, so I'm going to do what I want to make it better. I'll make these small tokenistic sacrifices. If I, if I do that, God's going to say, you're not listening. I don't want your sacrifices. It's your heart. It's your soul that I want. And that's why I listen when Uncle Ray and Auntie Sharon and Uncle Ben and Auntie Eunice speak and Colin and their guests at Gick speak. That's why I read books and why I'm going to the coming of the light in the Torres Strait at the end of this month. So I can listen and learn and continue to have my heart changed. And perhaps through that listening and learning, build trust and friendship and learn more about what might set things right. And when people join us here, we must help them know what we are trying to do. So I guess all I'm saying today is that we might want to look at what the Bible says about listening, peace, repentance, setting things right and building trust. I don't tend to use the word awesome very much, but I think heaven will be awesome. I will be filled with awe, but not an awe that causes distance. I expect the peace I have with God to follow to, uh, to allow me to feel confident in his presence to know i don't have to prove anything to him and perhaps reconciliation among ourselves involves us feeling comfortable comfortable with each other feeling respected feeling safe feeling valued in fact feeling the way that we will in heaven so each one of us Indigenous and non-Indigenous can say, as we look at the world around us and Australia and the way that we share it, it is well with my soul. The song you're about to sing uh, works in terms of our relationship with God, but just imagine it also in terms of our relationship with each other. If we wanted the soul of each one of us to be well. 
Well, I wish God's blessing on you all. I am very sorry I can't be with you, but I hope that you enjoy your service today.